Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyami. Hello and welcome. This is Babatope Ipiyami from The Change Lead and welcome to episode 16 of The Change Lead podcast. My guest today is a business mentor and advisor. He is passionate about helping business leaders increase profitability and succeed as entrepreneurs. He approaches clients with an open mind and walks alongside them to find key drivers and issues. My guest today is David Eaton. He works with clients at both strategic and operational levels and as a business mentor. David uses experience with dozens of organizations to bring hands-on delivery of agreed outcomes. He combines new ways of thinking with best practice. He has been a non-exec member of the Anglia Housing Group for many years and was finance director of an SME business. In 2016, David was appointed MBE for services to the territorial army. Today, David and I will have a conversation on how to encourage innovation in a business. David, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm really thank looking you, forward Papa to this Toby. conversation and welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Good. Thank you. Um, before we get stuck into innovation. Um, I do want to ask a question around something I think is of interest to you. So I know the very first time we, we spoke, you, would, you used the analogy of trains and a journey. And I've seen that reference in how you promote yourself on video as well. So for the benefit of audience, good to, and to help them to know you better, okay, what is it about trains and journey that you find so useful in what you do? Thank you, Well, It's really good, good to be here and to uh, be sharing together today. Uh, I've always loved trains. Ever since I was a four-year-old, I have a, had, a, had a train set. And then I got uh, used to traveling on big trains, which I, which I love. And the great thing to me about trains are the journey and the interesting places they take you to and the people you meet on the way. And I've always enjoyed trains, as I say. And I've had some privilege to have some interesting journeys. And I went to um, Istanbul and I came back on the route of the Orient Express, which was very exciting. And I met heaps of people there. That was some, some years ago. And uh, that was fascinating. And I took a train uh, because of my involvement in the Territorial Army that you, you, you made reference to. I went to Auschwitz uh, and I took the, the train there. And that was incredibly memorable as well. But it's, but it is, it's, it's the journey. And with regard to businesses, I think the fun and the joy is the journey. Um, the arrival at the end of the day might be we have a nice pension pot for retirement if we ever retire. <laughs> but it's a journey, the people we meet, the things we learn along the way and the richer we are at the end of each particular journey. So that's my love of trains and my, and my love of journeys and my love of businesses and people in them. Thank you. Thank you. So thank, that's very insightful. And hopefully with our audience, we'll be taking them on a journey through the course yeah. of this conversation. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Well, they can be the judge of that. <laughs> So if we start with innovation, so to start the conversation, I'd like to reference two studies on innovation. So there's a study done by BCG Group around innovation, and they found that 79% of 
business leaders considered innovation a top priority for their organizations, okay? There's another study that was done by McKinsey and Co. And this study polled that 94% of leaders or really execs expressed disappointment in the ability for organizations to actually innovate. So from these two studies, what we're saying is leaders think innovation is important. It is a top priority, but at the same time, they're expressing disappointment in the ability for their organizations to innovate. Is there any way we can, what is happening here? How can we explain this trend? <laughs> I think if we go back a, a few years, it's, it's when we said oh, we had to be involved in so, social media. Social media is very important. Not many of us knew quite what it was. Um, that makes complete sense to me, Babatobe, but I, I think with due respect to many of our business leaders, probably they might not quite know what innovation is and therefore are going to be naturally disappointed. It's probably worth thinking through what is innovation and how it ties in with creativity, because often they can be used interchangeably. But we remember that creativity is when we have a blank bit of paper and we're thinking really creatively and all sorts of wacky ideas come out of that. But with regard to innovation, we are usually trying to focus on a particular challenge, a problem, and be specific. And how do we use creativity to help us on that particular business challenge? So we think of just an example to, to tease that a bit out for a moment. Um, I came across a business some, some years ago that thought there was a shortage of left luggage locker space in London, and they set a new business up for that. And in fact, the market was sufficiently saturated and there wasn't a great demand and, and sadly it didn't work. But then one of the guys who was involved with it noticed when he went back and forth on the, on the tube that every early morning and every early evening, there were, there were tradespeople carrying these heavy toolboxes. And he thought, they lug this home each day and back each morning. What actually, if we able to keep those in London? So then they advertised specifically to that market and said, guys, rather than lugging all your heavy tools back and forth on the tube, leave them in a central location. And then it took off. And I don't know whether it's still going or not, but it did become a prosperous business. But an example of a creative idea, but then being used for practical application, which made a big, big difference. But I think one of the, the early things to talk about are barriers to innovation. And I wonder what those barriers might be. And if I was asked, I would say, this might sound slightly strange, fear is the biggest barrier to innovation. Um, and that's why most organizations, many organizations think find their staff don't achieve their, their main potential. Fear of failure, and sorry to say, fear of the boss. Because innovation is about rocking the boat. It's about ruffling feathers. And although, your 94% of the bosses might say, we're disappointed with innovation. 93.99% <laughs> of them might also say, don't rock my boat. I've got enough <laughs> challenges as it is. So I think rocking the boat is one of the key things we have to recognize is, is going, going to, to happen. And sadly, I was talking to someone the other day in the not-for-profit sector, so the touchy-feely sector, and he said, I'm afraid of my boss. So clearly not much innovation is gonna happen on, on that particular watch. The other thing tied with that is, uh, sorry to say, control freaks. Many control freaks, love them dearly, do run businesses. Because if we think about it, folks set up a business, they know what they're doing, it starts to grow, they're in charge of everything. 
and they remain in charge of everything. And that is another way of saying you can end up being a, being a control freak. And that's a killer to innovation. So leadership, leadership style is, is really important. Um, short-term thinking is a barrier to innovation, lack of resource, lack of capacity, lack of collaboration. We need to collaborate if we're going to be good innovators. We need time. We need to have a focus, hence the reference at the beginning to what actually is this creative idea meant to be, what's the problem we're trying to solve. So yes, we can have lots of ideas, but actually we do need to have delivery of actual improvements. And so insecurity, arrogance, closed mind, lack of curiosity are all going to be barriers to innovation. And so where the boss is omniscient, you know, whatever he or she says goes, they're all knowing, then we're going to be set up for failure. And often we're going to find good ideas come from the shop floor. And I have been in meetings of some very senior people and a junior person, this is in the construction industry, a more junior person, a, a plumber, has said, you know, sorry, Gal, this ain't going to work. And the, the, the senior partner says, who do you think you're addressing? I'm the partner of X, Y and Z. I've got an international background. You dare not question me. Afterwards, he said, it's not, it's not going to work. <laughs> and it didn't work. So that, that's really important. So therefore, talking to people across the organisation, and an, an example of that comes from one of the old bosses of M&S, who spent every Saturday afternoon with his wife and daughter going to an M&S store, talking to staff, talking to customers. On Monday morning, senior management team, you say, well, all have a nice weekend, guys and girls. Oh, yes, boss. And anything to report? No, everything's fine, everything's fine. Oh, well. I was in Brighton on Saturday afternoon and this, this and this, I was told, you know, and uh, that makes a big difference. So that's really important. That's really important. Um, wow. I think I'll, I'll pause there, shall I, for the moment on that one? No, I think, I think that's, that's a, you've, you've shared a lot there and it's quite a bit to unpack. I think the first one I'll, I'll touch on is creativity, that for innovation to thrive, we do need creativity. Yeah. And it, it boils down almost to a mindset. Um, and it's, it's, it's a mindset of, being open to new ideas. So we can't yeah. just do things the same way expect. It's almost like you can't tell, teach someone to be free. You need to ex allow them express themselves. So mm -hmm. it's like you said, a lot, of, a lot of our leaders have become control freaks. Um, mm. I know there's a saying that says, everything rises and falls on leadership. Leaders are, are, so, are so key and it is mm. important what they, what, they, what they do and it impacts us as well. Um, what's your take on that with leaders here? Is it? Well, many, we have this, we have the Peter principle that we are you know, promoted to our level of, of incompetence. Um, and there is, there's much truth in that. And it, it sounds, you know, almost rude to say it, but if we think about it, it is logical, isn't it? Because we are going to be promoted until we fail. And that's why some organizations recognizing that they will only promote you as long as they see you have the potential for the following promotion after that. So they try and keep one step ahead. So people reach their level, one level below their failure rate, as it were. Okay. And there's much, okay. there's much wisdom in that. And I think we need to also realize that there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of conflict involved in innovation because innovation by definition goes against, well, often goes against the status quo. And if we're a busy leader, busy manager, busy business owner, we know what we've got. We're back to not, want, not wanting to rock the boat. So we do need to recognize that there can be a considerable conflict in that. Um, and 
there's probably stuff as we our conversation continues that we might uh, pick up on yeah. in terms of organisation. Okay. All right. No, really, really nice. So if we take that thinking, that innovative mindset, creative mindset to large challenges. So if we look at the challenges we face globally today, a lot of the challenges are complex. We live mm-hmm. a lot. We, we can call them intractable, where everything is interconnected to everything else. Supply chains are globally interconnected. You, you really can't unpick things. You've mm-hmm. got the law of unintended consequences when you try and make an intervention as yeah. well. So really looking big picture, how can we apply this kind of thinking and mindset to the large challenges we face today globally? How can we be innovative at a global scale? Well, um, really t- t- tough question. <laughs> but I'll have, I'll have, I'll have a go. My, my contribution to the answer um, is the serenity prayer, which will be familiar to many of us along, along the way. I think written by an American theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr. And he wrote this little prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So what can I, as a business leader, what can I do? And as far as I can do it, then let's do it. And one of the things a business leader can do is to work on their own culture. They can work big time on that and they can work on issues within their own organization. They can be changed directly. The other thing we can do though, is we can influence things around us, things we can't directly order and compel and and make different, but we can influence, we can use our soft skills for that. So I think we met you mentioned supply chain. So we can make it a requirement in our supply chain that suppliers behave in a certain way. If we have an ethical way of, of paying our people, uh, we want to make sure that the, the, the people that we are trading with, they also have those principles. So we can, have, we can write that stuff in and we can check on it to make sure that that happens. We can raise awareness of issues within um, our industry. We can work together to be, to be raising standards. We can have this, this thing that's maybe overused, but the phrase of thought leadership, you know, we can project our vision and it may be, in a sense, pie in the sky, but there are many great innovators. I mean, we think of Sinclair, who, who recently died, um, who was you know, trying to make a difference and he did make a difference. And he, he also influenced people's thinking in, in different ways. And so we can influence policymakers, regulators, lawmakers, whoever. What we don't do is to say, oh, it's all too difficult. Global challenges all too difficult for us. And working as part of teams and in partnerships and joined up thinking is, is key. So one thing that comes to mind that I've, I'm, uh, I've been slightly involved with are the all party parliamentary groups. Informal cross party groups have no official status within parliament, but they do great work in bringing people and experts within industry together and have a voice in using the platform of parliament to project things and look at issues. Um, and that can be really important. So if you think of the challenges we've got now, I mean, we've got the pandemic, we've got a skill shortage, material shortage, as at this morning, we've got no petrol in BP garage or some BP garages, <laughs> we have an energy crisis, a migrant crisis, rise of China as a geopolitical force, we've got climate change. <laughs> but actually, we can make a contribution to each and every one of those in our own particular way. What we don't do is shrug our shoulders and say, oh, it's all too difficult. <laughs> Small changes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, br- that's br- brilliantly said, actually. Really, really, really well said. Really well put. Um, it, it reminds me of a, a training course I was on a while ago. This is around building high-performing teams. Yeah. And literally it was a case of when you face with challenges coming at you, 
What can you control? What can you control? What can you influence? And what is it that you just leave and you focus where you can control and just main focus, laser focus, and do what you can. Be the best you can be. Um, yeah. I think yeah. there's a saying, I can't remember who, who had the saying as well. When I was young, I tried to change the world. Now that I'm wise, I choose to change myself. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's about realizing that you that's the, the, the with your pointer fingers most more fingers are actually pointing at you so it's what can we do we see the challenges outside the challenges mm -hmm. what can we do so that is that's very insightful in there so it's not a hopeless situation for what you're saying it's not there. a, it's a hopeless situation um and again i think we'll come on to uh, as business leaders ourselves and working on ourselves so that we can be a springboard for other things to happen interesting interesting if we okay. try and bring the conversation to the the area of compliance culture the the control freaks we're, we're talking about at the, right. at the beginning now um right. so very often you know we, we look at um innovation within an organization and we look at this, the risk towards an organization so the lawyers, the accountants, like your good self, it's very easy to uh, think. Uh, it's very easy to think that the compliance or the risk stewards, the compliance culture, is actually the enemy of innovation. Mm -hmm. However, from my experience, and I really want to get your insights and take on this as well, is you can get compliance to work hand in hand with innovation, with creative ideas, but it's challenging. It's really hard to do. Um, yeah. So the question is, how do we get the duality of compliance and innovation to work hand in hand? Um, well, as this, is, as, as this is a conversation we're having on innovation, maybe this, this, my response might not surprise you. Um, yes, compliance should be our friend, not our enemy, but we have to bring innovation to compliance as well. Um, I, I'm an accountant by profession. I do a fair bit of work with, with HMRC, Manchester Revenue and Customs, who do a good job because they are collecting money from the public in order to pay our hospital, schools, police worthy services. So, you know, it is important. It needs to happen. But sometimes our regulators can seem to have the wrong sort of power or are insufficiently held to, to account. And I remember years ago when the construction industry scheme was brought in, whereby if you're in, the in, in construction, there's a certain way of how tax is collected. And HMRC were amazed to discover that the rules applied to themselves because they were a large, had a large number of buildings. They themselves needed to be licensed under their own rules. And this took them by complete surprise for this. Um, and they're the guys who wrote the rules. And I think sometimes there can be a level of arrogance at the level of regulators. And when there's a problem, we need more regulation. And that's not always the, the answer. So it is a slight bugbear in the sense I wrote to the revenue a while ago and seven and a half months later, they wrote back to me. So thank you for your letter, uh, Mr. Eaton, um, but we're not, we, we're not in a position to reply to your letter. You know, that's seven and a half months, you know, the frustration. And I remember being with a former speaker of the House of Commons, won't mention their name, who was very keen on lording it over others and was amazed to discover that he was responsible for asbestos um, in the whole of the palace of Westminster. And uh, he was the accountable person for it. And this was pointed out at, at a meeting. And it was the only time I've known this particular person become speechless. 
as we were. Uh, so I think we just need to recognize it's the, the two to tango thing. So I think innovation in compliance is, is really important. You mentioned unintended consequences. That often happens. And I think of, um, you probably don't remember the one, do you remember the one pound note? Probably don't, you're too young. We had a paper one pound note. And of course it was, it, it, it was, didn't buy a lot. And so it was used a lot and it had to be replaced. And so there were the printing costs. And so um, uh, the, the, uh, the treasury in charge of, um, uh, of notes and coins said, right, we'll save money by having coins and we'll get rid of the printing costs because the coins will last longer. What they hadn't factored in was it cost a lot of money to cart all these pound coins around the country. So actually, although it was meant as a, as a saving, uh, saving, it actually costs, costs more money. Um, and that's a frustration. And more seriously, again, I come with a construction background. A while ago, the government introduced something called fees for intervention by the health and safety executive. So when the health and safety executive have come onto a site, either because they're doing a routine visit or there's some particular reason, if they see something that isn't right, um, they'll tell you so, and they can issue um, you with a, like a warning and uh, will charge you a fee uh, for what they've seen. And this is quite, quite expensive. And so what happened is that people are trying to keep the HSE away. Whereas in the old days, they know what, they are very good people and they've got a lot of experience. Whereas you'd want to invite them in in order they could tell you what might go wrong, give you a few tips. You were now terrified you'd walk away with a £2,000 bill, as it were. So again, although it brings a bit of money into the HSE, it actually overall doesn't help society. And sadly, we have the absolute tragedy of Grenfell and issues about regulation mm -hmm. there. So I'm giving regulators a slightly hard time, but I do think we need to introduce some innovation into them, recognizing they're doing a good job, but they themselves often need to improve. And the answer to a problem isn't just over-regulation, as it were, but we do need yeah. regulators and we need to have a, a fair and just society. Yeah, no, that's, that's very insightful, actually. And, and I like your the, your take on it that the the compliance called the compliance industry needs to needs to innovate themselves. Um, a lot of the challenges they face, they've probably been trained in a school where you deal with things in a complicated as being complicated challenges. So there's a there's a way of doing things. There's a rule, but mm. when you have new to world challenges, you almost need to experiment and use emergent practice what you're saying to to deal with these things so we need innovation in, in that so that's that's very very insightful so it can be done but we do need the we do need a change within risk stewards as and well and we need we need a we need a variety of people in our organizations in order that you have got different perspectives because one of the difficulties regulators have regulators by definition and we would be disappointed if it wasn't the case, they know the answer. Therefore, whenever there's any doubt, they always know which way to go because they know the answer. Whereas, of course, the public genuinely often don't know and they guess or they just take the English language at face value. And if we're writing and we know the answer, then actually it does make a, it does make a big difference um, to how we respond. And we then have end up with arguments that actually bring more heat than light in, into, a, into a situation. And so having adjudicators, ombudsmen and other people who can actually take the side of the public in order, because we are in Britain, we are a just and fair society and we do not like injustice. Um, on the other hand, we have to be fair and we have to pay our taxes and 
could apply because the rules are meant to be there for our overall benefit. But sometimes we can get a bit carried away with that with our rules. <laughs> and sake talking of which, we've now left the EU. But one of the things that the of the British about culture, aren't we, at a cultural level, um, we often were not in favour of regulation. So when EU rules were were suggested or promulgated, we would vote against them, but they would be passed by others. We'd put them into law. We would gold plate them. Other countries that wanted them then ignored them, as it were, and thought we were were daft. It's why we queue at bus stops, as it were. So there are some cultural issues, and and I think that's true at the Brexit level. Won't get into Brexit, Mm. per se. Um, But also (laughs) it could be true at organisational levels, and both with organisation to organisation, but also within organisations as well. Okay. Okay, it's insightful, insightful. So if we if we look at the the bosses, we go back to the bosses at the top of organizations. We, yeah, we know from what you explain, what you explain that in a lot of cases, people do get promoted by maintaining the status quo, by not rocking the boat. It's one of the ways politically within organizations, within businesses, that you do rise to the top. Or if you you started a business, you you just stay on top. But it is possible, and we have seen it, where people begin to educate themselves, learn, and mindsets change. So we do have people at the top of organizations with an open mindset who are looking to embrace uh, innovation, embrace creativity, embrace new ways of thinking. They may, they may be struggling with it, but they, they are beginning to embrace it. How, how can people in that scenario, people at the top of um, businesses who They've got an organization, maybe a large organization, a small organization, where as an organization, we mentioned culture, the culture is not innovative. They've not been trained to be innovative, but they've embraced it and they're trying to now, in that position of being at top, bring innovation down. What can people at the top do in that scenario? Um, I think the first thing, picking up your, your point of, of, um, of leadership, is to recognise that um, or it, is, it can we can lead, there are different leadership styles, and one model of of leadership style analysis says that there are there are four styles that'd be well known to many of us. There's the artisan, the hero, the meddler, and the and the strategist. Mm-hmm. And recognising those styles and recognising who we are in that, and saying actually maybe I could be a better leader. So often and, we, and I working at the SME level, often with small businesses. So the artisan, someone sets up a business, they do everything, they muck, they muck in, that's fine. Then the organisation starts to grow, and we can then have the leader who is the hero, who is the person who does everything, and no one except the hero can really do things, do things properly. So, of course, that is going to be a real bar to innovation and growth for the company. We have the meddler, who therefore wants to micromanage everything, and I'm sure we will, we will come across those. Um, we can then say, well, actually, I want to move to being the strategist. I don't want to be the hero. I don't want to be the meddler. I want to allow people to have autonomy so staff can get on with their job. And my job as a leader is to set the overall direction. So some self-knowledge about that can, can be really helpful. So that self-awareness is, is key. But I think I then want to say to our leaders, we need to understand organisations. Now, I've got a super nephew who wants to make a fortune on the stock market. I have another nephew who wants okay. to play for Liverpool, but this one make a fortune <laughs> on the stock market. And he says to Uncle David, can you give me some share tips, Uncle David? And when I reply and say, well, why don't you read some books on investing and get to grips with how the stock market works? Um, 
his face sort of <laughs> his face falls a bit because it is it is quite hard work you're doing this so it is with innovation it sounds sexy it sounds dynamic but innovation must sit in the context of the organization and it's no good just as almost like climate change we can take a phrase that's a good phrase oh we've got to do something about climate change do something about innovation innovate 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 but actually, we've got to pause. So no, the first thing to do is look at the organisation. Do we understand organisations and how do they work? And this bit might sound a bit boring, but I'd argue possibly is the most important part of our conversation. Because in an organisation, there are four principal activity types, it's, it's said, and there are different ways of looking at it, but let's say there are four types. The steady state, the innovation, crisis and policy. So the steady state, that's about 80% of the organization, all the routine stuff, which can be programmed in some sort of way, the infrastructure, the accounts, secretarial admin, production, sales, but not marketing. We then have got innovation, everything directed to changing the way that the organization does things, research and development, parts of marketing, the development side of production, corporate planning, some parts of finance. Then we've got crisis, organizations, have to deal with crisis the unexpected at some time no one has a monopoly of, of crisis they can occur anywhere in the organization but often will happen at that external face where the organization meets out the outside world as it were and then there's policy the overall guidance the direction of the organization priorities direction allocation of resources etc and there's overlap clearly and so it follows from this that if we have an appropriate culture in each of those activities then the, that part of the organization will be most effective. But we don't want to be running, as it were, the innovation department in the same way as we're going to be running the, the crisis department necessarily. Um, but organizations can have a habit of becoming dominant in one of those four areas. So rather than having those four states of business in balance, they're all, they're, we've mentioned these four steady state innovation crisis policy, Rather than having them in a healthy balance, the organization predominantly is always in crisis or just consists of policy or always just tries to be innovative or just you know, never rock the boat, the steady state. So I argue that we need to get the balance right in the organization so it's operating well. And then into that organization, we encourage innovation. So we can put it another way and say that the, the crisis run organization needs to get some structure brought into it. And that might not be a very innovative comment, but it needs to happen. And innovation isn't about upsetting the apple cart for the sake of it. And ironically, I find when I'm asked to come into organizations very often, the thing that I bring to the organization that does seem by agreement to be most need um, is some structure. And there is a slight dichotomy with that, but it's structure that's really important. So when the organization is running pretty well, and we, have, we understand the different activities and the way that they need to be run with a skill set, then we're in a place to say, actually, how do we introduce or allow innovation to be even more effective in that organization rather than any problem, innovation is, is the answer. Does that, does that make some sense? It, 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 it does. And I think I really like the, the concept of balance of those activity types, whereby yes. you do need a balance. And I can actually, from working with different organizations, I can see there's some examples I can pick up straight away where they organized. They have, there's one um, work with recently where it's been innovate, 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 no structure. 
And it almost feels that everybody's trying to do something new, but nobody mm. knows how to maintain whatever is new. So there, yeah. <laughs> so there's yeah. no is the, an in, in, inability to maintain things, but uh, an ability yes. to create new things, but an inability yeah. to maintain what's been created. So I've seen that yes. trend, and I've also seen organizations doing exactly what you, in terms of everything's so steady that you've got systems in place that have been decades old, but they're dominant organizations. They're still they're still in business, but the ability yeah. to make any changes is is really really challenging because it's effectively fossilized. So that balance is, is quite key. Um, very insightful. Just for the benefit of the audience, because you also talked about the leadership types there. Is this something yeah. you can just touch on again? Because I think it's very useful and not everybody knows that those four leadership types you mentioned, you just want to touch them and speak to them again. Well, we mentioned the art. So often we're starting off um, with the art, what's called the artisan, the person who will start the business. Um, or someone who will just muck in and get on, get on with things. And that's at a fairly simple level with a small business. Then, but that person can then find themselves doing, doing everything and then becomes the hero of the, of the organization. And I think at times, and I think in my own limited experience, you know, there have been times when I've been a willing guy, as it were, and I've ended up doing stuff that actually I probably should have not done and actually stood back and said, not this ain't my job. I mean, sometimes it was this ain't my job, mate, sort of thing. But actually, I think you will do it better, as it were, and be clearer on, on roles for that. Then there's the, the medal of the micromanager. And that often comes out of fear. We're not sure, is it going to be all right? Is it going to be all right? And therefore, we go over-involved and we micromanage everything. And the point about that is it then means we haven't got the time and energy to see the big picture, which is what we should be doing as a leader. It also means that we're going to disincentivize um, and we're going to belittle those who should be doing it. Because if the leader, the boss, whoever comes along and manages our work is going to change everything, then why bother? Let's save time. I won't bother. Let him do it or her do it if mm. that's what, what she wants. So they're moving to that strategist role is, is really important. Um, and allowing for autonomy for the staff and trusting the staff. And if we don't trust the staff, um, we need to ask ourselves, why is that? Have we appointed the wrong people? Are we not training them? Are we undermining them, etc.? And it can be a catch-22 because it can be, we've got some really good staff, but the way we approach them is that we belittle them, undermine them, and we then make them ineffective. And sometimes we need to be honest enough to say to people, um, can you give me some feedback? And the 360 degree feedback, as it's called, is where we look all around rather than just someone's boss commenting. People under them also are allowed to comment, are invited to comment yeah. and give feedback. Um, and the more open we are with that, the better. But I think we might come on to a bit more about personality as we as we continue the, the conversation. If that's. And I think we have the strategists, which you want to talk through the strategists as well. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, so so the, the, the strategist is a person who is able to take a step back um, and, and see the big picture. That actually means that they, they've got a big picture. And I think we're going to talk about some tools for help innovation. And one of the basic tools of, running, of helping to run a business now is this thing of uh, what's called strategy on a page. It's a business plan, because I think we recognize that you know, the 20 page business plan we spend hours writing and sits on the shelf isn't always uh, that effective for us because it sits on the shelf. 
but working together with a short document that, that has the, the main components of the business, and it's on one sheet of A4 in summary form, then allows us to see that picture and to make sure we're addressing all the key areas. And so the strategic leader is able to just, at a, at a, at a glance, see, yeah, tick, 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 that's all fine. Oh, no, actually, that's not quite right. That's not in place. I need to do that. And then to say whoever is responsible for it, oh, something's not quite right with our marketing department, haven't got our figures right this month, or something in the production area isn't right. In order, because we're back to train sets, you see. I love train sets. I love, love train sets. <laughs> and it's when, when I, with the business plan, all works and it all interrelates together. It's not compartmentalized. Again, we'll come on to silos, won't we? It's mm. how it all dovetails together. And it's that rich experience. And every time I play with, I haven't got one up, up there. Every time I, play, I do play with my, play with a train set, as it were, it's always different. There's different things happening, different engines running around, different little problems, things falling over. <laughs> That's what makes it interesting. In, indeed. I think you're, you're clearly a train set enthusiast. I'm a train bum. I'm a train bum. <laughs> yeah. So, so if we look at, um, <laughs> indeed. If we look at the, um, so within organizations, uh, a lot of times bosses are using incentives, incentives to either promote or disincentivize certain types of behavior. And from my experience, what I've seen is sometimes those incentives end up contradicting each other. And mm -hmm. so the incentives given to the sales team could actually contradict the overall benefit of the organization. Okay, so mm -hmm. because, and, you, and these incentives create and reinforce silos. Um, so yeah. we, we have organization and one thing is, it's very hard for innovation to work without collaboration and silos mm -hmm. just kill, kill mm. collaboration. By, mm. uh, so by inference, we know you cannot have innovation, you cannot have creativity where you have loads of silos. So how can we break down these silos? Is there anything we can do for organizations to, to get rid of these silos or get out of them? Um, yes, we can. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because as ever, the question, the Getting the question right is key, is key to the answer. It's a fantastic question. Um, but I'd like to, we, we're talking about leadership. I'd like to go back to personality, if I may, if we may. Mm -hmm. um, and we have different personality types. And we've got things like, you know, Insights Discovery, Myers-Briggs, Belbin, um, the Enneagram, other things, um, which are all variations on the theme. They're all, they're all fantastic. If we take something like Insights Discovery as, as one way, because many of us, or some of us will be familiar with it, and it's, rel it's relatively easy. So Insights Discovery divides us up into one of four colours. And are you, are you familiar with Insights? Probably you are. You've, I imagine you've come across it. The four colours of the red, blue, green, and yellow. So the red is, is the fiery red, which is the director okay. type. Yeah, I think the blue is the cool blue analytical. The green is the calm, kind, people-centred person. The yellow is the energetic extroverts, yeah. the, the sales marketing people. And each color group will have specific characteristics. And if we, if we take our stuff, and I've done, if I give an example, I've done this, and I am, will hopefully address the really good question you've asked, but I'm, I may am doing it this way. Um, I had a group of about 30 people in the, in the business. Um, and we worked out which color people were, and we put a little, gave them a little baseball cap as it were and then we put them into their color group so all the reds work together all the greens work together the blues the yellows and so forth and we had a task i gave them a task i said you've you've 
got half an hour to organize a village fete. And they waited for half an hour. And then they reported, they reported back. And the thing was that um, the report back was really, was really interesting. So the Reds, and there weren't, there weren't many Reds in the organization, um, but what they did do was they, arg they argued about who was in charge <laughs> and then who was actually going to do the work. So not a lot got done because they were, all wanted to be top dog. Then there were the, clue, the, the blue, the cool blues analytical, and they had decided to organize this using spreadsheets and they went into great detail on their spreadsheets and nothing was, was forgotten except they forgot to communicate this to anyone. So no one knew the fate was going to be happening. The yellow group were very energetic and they wrote some wonderful posters and they were going around all around the village, but they forgot to say what the date of the fate was going to be. <laughs> and the green people, the calm group, they were very sweet, but they got stuck right at the beginning and they never got further than this because they couldn't choose a date in case it clashed with the Methodists and upset the Methodists. They didn't want to do that. And that's a true story. And I saw that with myself. Um, and that is remarkable. And that's what organizations are, are like. And in Myers-Briggs terms, um, we've got mm. things I, like ISTJs and all the rest of it. And I, I, I don't mind saying this. I'm an ISTJ. And one of the features of an ISTJ is we all think the world will be perfect if the world was full of ISTJs. <laughs> um, and again, I've seen that. I've seen that in a, in a, in a Myers-Briggs group. And some of these revelations are remarkable but actually they're true but they needn't be damning they actually can be quite liberating and they can be quite funny and if we then own who we are and we're working in teams and we make a point of having teams of mix of of of, of mixed colors in, in, in this case of, of um the, the red blues yellows and greens we can have a rich we can have a rich team now the reason i mention this with reference to silos is often personality types will gravitate to a silo of a certain department. And so the accounts department are not being made up of a load of yellows, I'll show you that. Um, but the marketing department is going to be, etc. So when we say to people, don't work in silos, yes, we can move the silos. The boss can say, well, I'm now, I've now made this, I'm bringing this silo together by edict of the boss. But the people in them, they're just the same people. And we therefore have to be working at the level of the people and equipping them. Now, we can't change people per se, but if we can help people grow in their self-awareness, and if we can then give them confidence, and I mentioned we did an exercise where we had these hats that we literally worked in the green group, the yellow group. We can say to someone, so I'm a red, for instance, right, David, you know, put on a yellow hat and for a day operate as a yellow person. And it's out of your comfort zone, and you might be a bit silly, but other people are given different hats. And then you, you're, and when in, in, this sounds daft, I know, but it does work. So in office conversations, you're doing something and someone will say to me, well, no, no, Dave, that's not how a yellow would respond. You're not <laughs> thinking like a yellow. <laughs> and thinking like someone else thinks. So when I'm then meeting a yellow, I'm starting to understand them and actually what makes them tick. And that remarkably can reduce some of the conflict and encourage some of the collaboration and respect rather than often it happens, and I'm in the finance team. So the finance team would usually throw stuff at the sales team and say, oh, they don't understand, it's all pie in the sky, etc." But if we work together and we follow each other and we do some like work experience together, it's good. And one particular thing that works incredibly well is one, one might do this to start off with for the sake of it, 
you find a you find a multidisciplinary project that brings people from different silos to work together on a project make one up if you haven't got one comes to mind but usually a useful one will come to mind and work collaboratively mm-hmm. and that can be very enriching for the organization yes very very that, that well yeah very 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 insightful you you've completely you've taken cross-functional teams all the way down to the depth of thinking as well so that's that's really good yeah. um there, there's something i've found when in skills development i just want to make sure if, if you can relate it to what you said is the concept of a t-shaped scale where you have a lot of depth in one area so you really you're really strong in one area it's te- it tends to be used for functional skills but i want to see if you can relate it to what you've just described there so if, for example you'd be super skilled at markets for example you're really good there but then you also have a thin, broad layer of skills as well, where you understand the engineering a little bit, you understand the legals a little bit, you understand compliance a little bit, you, un- you understand AI, innovation a little bit. You, you're not an expert, but you do have that. Can we use that same analogy, you know, that concept of a T-shaped skill in this context as well, where you're a yellow, you're deep yellow, but then you embrace the blue, the green, and the red as well. Not as strong. Yeah, yes, ab- ab- absolutely. And if we're looking at a practical way of doing that, you ask, you ask for instance, um, <coughs> the yellow person, the extrovert, do some work on, say, with the finance team, and you ask them then to present a finance report. And you might ask the accountant to prepare them, present the marketing report. Just a brief, a brief summary to get under the skin and just to get the focus there and to see things differently. Um, and what, of course, what happens is they don't do it like the other person, you know, the, the skilled person. They bring their own nuance to it. And invariably that slightly enriches it because often mm. it just brings that little bit, a little bit of balance, that little what if to it. That little bit of caveat. Yeah. So you've got the extrovert. So you've got the finance person, but the extrovert report present the market. Well, we're going to have all these sales, and we're going to do this. Fantastic. But they're going to add at the end. Well, provide providing X, Y, and Z don't happen because that would scupper the plan. And that X, Y, and Z can actually be the things that will ensure then it doesn't happen and it works. Indeed. I've seen it, and it is amazing. Indeed, indeed. No, very, very, very insightful. I think I'm, I'm going to try and encourage more of that in, in, in what I'm working on as well. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I know you, you do, one of the things you do is you're, you're a business mentor. I, I know you, you do, you, you're very well yeah. skilled to do a lot of things as well. Um, can you just share with, for the benefit of our audience, what, what you've, how you've been able to specifically, I know you already touched on a few of them already, actually, how you've been able to bring innovation into business and any specific techniques that you use beyond what you've already shared? Yep, um, there, are some, there are some techniques. Um, bra- brainstorming is, is a classic one. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we sit down together and we, um, we think of an idea and we all scratch our heads and we, we call out some ideas. And that is fantastic. It's really, really encouraged that and can't do, can't do enough of it. The thing about brainstorming though is often the, the loudest people will have the biggest voice. And the quiet people, it might be, for instance, a secretarial person, in an example I'm thinking of, um, and the boss often has got the loudest voice. <laughs> That's why they're the boss, and etc. So we then have silent brainstorming. So rather than talking, people write their ideas down. 
and that can then mean that the quiet voice is, 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 heard, is heard. Then we've got greenhousing, which is where we take some ideas and we then um, develop them and we look at them in as particular ideas and we then brainstorm on the brainstorming, as it were. And that is called greenhouse, like putting things in a greenhouse, allow them to have a bit more thought and, and so forth. It's effective. Then there are the, the five whys, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with, which is mm -hmm. we're back to asking the right question. So we have a problem and we say, why have we, why have we got no money in the bank every the end of it, we never got enough money at the bank? You know, why is that? Well, that's because people don't pay us according to the schedule. Well, why don't they pay us? Well, that's because we don't send the things out in time. Or that's because we don't chase them up, etc. And then we go back and we find the real question, the real issue, and we work on that. So that's that's really good. We then got De Bono. De, now, if you're on video, you'll see this. De Bono's six thinking hats. Yeah. This, I think, is one of those Probably fantastic... Probably have it somewhere behind me there. <laughs> I hope you have. Uh, yes, <laughs> I've got the book. De Bono. And the thing about this is, rather than when we're having a conversation and we each come in with our personalities, as it were, um, and therefore that we can be a bit you know, dominant in, in that, and we, it's a bit of a spaghetti conversation. The point about De Bono is to say, right, let's take an issue and let's look at it in a siloed way. So the red hat, for instance, that's feelings, intuition, hunches and instinct. Right. So let's just look at this problem. How do we feel about it? What's our gut feeling? And we will thrash that through. And then we'll say, well, possibilities, the, the green, the green one here. So let's think about all the possibilities this idea has. And, so and we work through the colours, the blue organisational, the white information, the black is critical danger and so forth and the yellow the benefits and as we're discussing an idea and we go through we can we can move through the hats and we can come back through the hats and we can have another go at looking at it for the black hat and so forth but it does take the spaghetti untangled to spaghetti and that can make for much much richer a much richer decision um and uh, well, i've mentioned strategy on a page that's a really useful useful tool the one i just want to leave, leave to the end which i think is the most effective at all it's a brainstorming technique is is reverse brainstorming and i know Baratepe, we had a conversation about that yeah. and reverse brainstorming is where you take an idea and you then reverse it and say we want to do the opposite of it so it might be a silly idea you know we want we want more I want, I want to, I'm, I love trains, right? I want to, I'm a train manufacturer. I want to sell more trains, right? Let's reverse it. What do I need to do that we don't sell any trains in the next year at all? No trains. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? When we brainstorm on that, we come up with a list of, of things that we, will, we can do to make sure we sell no trains. And the, the irony is that when we then flip that list, we can then say, well, what do we do if we want trains? We actually discover that the list of ideas we have is much greater than if we start with, I want to sell more trains. And we might say, well, that sounds rather counterintuitive and that's not logical. It's not logical. And we're not logical, except that we are. And it comes from when we were cavemen and cave women, because we are programmed to look out for danger and risk for survival. And therefore, we are programmed to look at the negative more than we are the positive for our survival. So reverse brainstorming harnesses that reality, that fact, and allows us to more quickly find the negative. And I have I've, I've shared it with you, Babatepe, when, when we had a conversation. Um, but I saw it in a real time example where there was some fundraising by Snape Maltings, um, which is the, um, the fantastic 
Center of Musical Excellence on the Suffolk, Suffolk coast. And I did some work with a business development manager and they wanted more, uh, wanted more income, more sponsorship. And uh, we, we did that and it was a remarkable exercise and it, did inv- and it does involve life and death. You can kill people uh, hypothetically in, in this. Um, and actually when we split it, and we throw when we flipped it, beg your pardon. We actually were doing uh, working on world peace, and we were bringing communities together in Israel that were at war with each other using music. It was incredibly powerful, so I really recommend it um, as a fantastic technique. Wow, a lot of techniques there. What I'll do is in the show notes, I'll, I'll list those techniques so that yeah, our audience sure. can 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 reference them um, yeah, as well. Them and, yeah, yeah, indeed. I think we, we've. We've had a lot of insights from yourself, David, today. It's been a brilliant conversation. Before we close, it would be good to know a little bit more about what you're doing right now. As we know you love trains, but what, 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 are you, what are you doing right now and how people can get in touch with you as well? Sure. Can I, can I give, one, can I give one, one super example of innovation? Sure. Um, that's made a real difference uh, to, the, to the world, actually. Um, when I was in Kuwait, I worked in Kuwait for a year. Um, and I, one of my clients was a Coca-Cola franchise business. And I noticed that there were empty Coca-Cola bottles strewn all over the desert. And so we introduced a scheme whereby there was a deposit scheme. So people then brought the bottles back and we didn't leave the, the desert full of empty Coke bottles. And I s- saw that Coke gets everywhere in the middle of the middle of the desert. What I didn't think of, but somebody else did think of, was if Coke gets the middle of the desert, can't we get tablets and condoms, this is during the AIDS AIDS epidemic, to people in Africa and elsewhere who otherwise aren't aren't getting things. And so this guy thought, let's use a Coca-Cola network. And if we think of how the bottles work in the the crates and have have like an egg carton thing, and Mm -hmm. on the top of all the bottles, we put this egg carton thing, which can have tablets and condoms and things on, in order we can get these throughout the throughout the desert i say the desert you know what i mean by that to communities that otherwise would never get medicine and this guy wrote coca-cola and they had no interest in it so then he went to radio 4 the pm program and he got it on that and then the bbc contacted coca-cola and said actually isn't this a good idea and then coca-cola listened and then they said yes we will do it but then they said oh there's a problem we can't put condoms in these coke because that will offend some faith communities, as it were, mm-hmm. contraception and so forth. So what they then said, they then had to do some brainstorming on all of that. And they then said, right, Coke said, we will allow an NGO, a non-governmental organization, to tell us, to, rather, to work out what goes in these egg cartons, not Coca-Cola. And then the NGO said, let's put condoms and tablets on it, and so forth. And it went in and it got distributed. And I thought that was an amazing story. And yeah. but it did take perseverance. And it took a while for Coke to hear and it was almost zero cost to themselves, but it has saved countless lives. But, but uh, the reason it run, runs, uh, echoes with me is, I saw those Coke bottles in the desert. I saw that Coke gets everywhere, but I never made that connection, but somebody did. And um, mm. they changed lives, to save lives. Amazing. It does indeed. It doesn't. So, um, it does, it so does indeed. I just wanted to mention that if I may. Yeah. So I work with owner-managed businesses and, um, in a, in a range of ways, primarily helping them to strengthen their business, uh, to meet their challenges. And a lot of that is about asking the right questions. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, my website, 
smestrategies.co.uk. Sierra Mike Echo Strategies.co.uk. That's me. Thank you, Babatofe. Very nice to be with you. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. This has been very, very insightful. A very, very insightful conversation. I'll put all those links in the in the show notes as well. Thanks for, Thank for making the time and hopefully we'll see you soon. Having Take me. Care. I wish you well Thank with you. <laughs> what you're doing. Cheers, Babatofe. Bye you. for now. Are you looking to encourage innovation in your business? Would you like to join in the conversation on how to encourage innovation? Connect with a community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. When you visit our site, click join to join the community. Check out the show notes for details on how you can contact today's guest. Also, please don't forget to like, comment, review and subscribe. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great week and see you next time.